One of my favorite activities I did as a teenager, um, especially during the summertime, was a thing called toilet papering. And of course, you, you know what toilet papering is. That's where you dress in all black. You pretend like you're a ninja. You go out past curfew and you're just um, running around the neighborhood with backpacks full of toilet paper looking for a friend's house to completely destroy with toilet paper. And it's okay because my dad said that as long as it's your friend, it's not vandalism. It's only when you do it to a stranger's house when it starts to become vandalism. Like it's just funny games, right? If it's just your friends. Um, but one of the fun things about toilet papering is whenever you're outside and you're young and you're sneaking around, you get that feeling every time you see a car coming down the street or you see headlights or anything, you automatically A, think it's a cop, and B, think it's coming for you. Like, like the cops are, are automatically coming for you because they just know when someone's sneaking around. So the first thing you do is like you hide behind a tree, you hide behind a car, you get down low, you hide under things um, until the car passes and you realize there's just a random person. Um, but one year... It actually was a cop, and they actually were coming for us. And that was a year that we decided we're going to get smart. You know, we're going to get on our bikes. That way we can go around faster, and we can get further out if we want to. Um, But that's all fun, and it makes sense until cops are coming. You need to hide, and it's hard to hide seven people on a bike whenever you can't really just lay down flat anywhere. Um, So we learned the lesson. They ended up chasing us back to my house, had us surrounded. It um, It was fun. Uh, so the next the year after that, we decided that, you know what, we're going to be smart. We're going to ditch the bikes. Like, that's, that was, that's a noob move, right? Like, that's for people who don't know what they're doing. So we decided to ditch the bikes, but we were older, so we wanted to push our boundaries a little bit in the big town of Glenpool. So we go to the other neighborhood. We go to the other side, and we're trying to find a house to um, completely demolished with toilet paper, and we did. So we got found a friend's house. We put so much toilet paper in the house, you couldn't even see the house anymore. We had a job well done. Like, okay, it's time to get home. Um, the only problem was it was quite a ways from our house. And so we get about a mile away from our house, and we hear the police sirens. And like, oh, no, it's deja vu again. It's happening again. And so we're frantic because the only way to get home is to go on the major road that's out in the open. There's a lot of lights. Like there's no way to get from where we are to home without getting caught. So we did the only logical thing and we called my dad and it's like, Hey, like we were frantic, like, Hey, we, we need to get home. Their cops are coming. Um, and we told him exactly where we were and what seemed like five seconds later, he comes speeding around the corner in the 1996 red Windstar minivan that yes, I had the privilege of driving to high school the entire time. Um, but it comes screeching around the corner, the door, um, slides open. He's like, jump in, jump in. And we all jump in. He takes us to safety. And that is the day that my dad became a legend and all my friend's eyes. Um, all that to say is that a lot of us, even the most do-it-yourself, independent people, deep down we want to be saved. There's something inside all of us. We want that release of pressure. We want that safety of freedom. We want to know that in the end, everything is going to be okay. We, we can have all the fun, all the excitement, all the adrenaline we want, but in the end, we want to know that everything is going to be okay. Deep down, we desire a Savior. So as we continue our Christmas series on the, on the name of Jesus, Pastor Steve, last week he preached on the powerful name of Jesus and the joy that that brings us. This morning we're going to look at again, dive into the Christmas story, and see two names of Jesus and what they mean for us uh, this morning. Um, and the question that we're going to be answering is, why did Jesus come? When we think about Christmas, 
us as Christians, we know Christmas is obviously more than Santa. It's more than gifts. It's more than all the festivities. We know that it's about the birth of Jesus. But the question is deeper than that. Like, why did Jesus come? Why was he born? Why are we celebrating this season? So, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bible, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can find all the scripture on there on the events part. Um, or you can just see the verses right behind me as they come up magically. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, The birth of Jesus Christ came out about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because she has been conceived, or what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which translate, God is with us. So there's a lot happening in this story and a lot to unpack here. Um, but culturally speaking, as a religious Jew, it would have been very shameful, very looked down upon for a man and a wife to get pregnant before they actually get married. And then, of course, it would have been even like more shameful for that to happen, um, for a, a woman to get pregnant by a man that wasn't even her husband. So culturally speaking, in this context, Joseph had every right to publicly shame and disgrace Mary for cheating on him, if in fact that she had cheated on him, which we know that she didn't. But in his mind, in that culture, it would have been very okay for him to do that. But him being a righteous man, as the Bible tells us, that he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. He didn't want to shame her. Instead, he, did, he was doing the right thing in his mind, and he wanted to do it secretly. And so it says, as he's considering these things, an angel come and appears and tells him, like, it's okay. Like, everything that she told you is true. She is, what is inside of her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is to take place for a bigger purpose than what you're realizing right now. And then the angel tells Joseph what to name his son and why. And so we see, um, the angel says, name him Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins. And then Matthew narrates and tells us his second name, name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So the first name that we see for Jesus is Jesus. The angel told Joseph to name him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. And names in ancient times, they meant more to us than names mean to us today. Like it's more than just a name. It's more than just um, like Tanner or Kelly. It's more than just identification. Um, names implied all of the parents' hopes and dreams, what they want for that child. Like they had a lot of significance behind them. And so Jesus in the Greek, it reflects the Hebrew word for Yeshua, which was where we get the name for Joshua. But Yeshua also means that Yahweh saves or God saves and so Jesus means that through him, God promises salvation will come to his people. It's, it's in the name. I love the way that Paul also talks about the name of Jesus and narrates the Christmas story in 1 Timothy chapter 1, which is not usually where you go to to find the Christmas story. But Paul, he's, he talks about why Jesus came in 1 Timothy 1. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
And he talks about himself, I am the worst of them, but I receive mercy for this reason so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. This is the most fundamental reason for Christmas, the most fundamental reason why Jesus came. God knew that this was the only way to save humanity. And he knew from the very moment that sin entered into the Garden of Eden, whenever Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and they disobeyed God, God knew that the only way for redemption, the only way for salvation was that he would come himself and save us. That like right after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and right after he sinned, um, God, he speaks prophetically, and he's talking, or right after he rebukes Adam and Eve, he starts rebuking the devil, and he speaks prophetically to him. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. This is one of the first messianic, or this is the first messianic prophecy in the Bible referring to what Jesus would do for us. And the Apostle John, he takes it a step further, and he takes this idea, and he says in 1 John chapter 3, he says, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. So he's, he's taking that same idea. Jesus was revealed. Jesus was born for this purpose. Now it's to destroy the works of the devil, to reverse all that sin has caused, to reverse all the pain, all the death, all the destruction. That is why Jesus was revealed. So let's turn back to Paul's take on Christmas in 1 Timothy. He says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save Sinners, and I am the worst of them, but I receive mercy for this reason. So that in me, you know, the worst of them, Christ might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. So the biggest problem that we face as humans, as people, is sin. And like we know, like all of us, we have problems. Like it doesn't take a lot. Like you just wake up, look in the mirror, like, oh, I got a problem. Uh, or like you have your family over, like, okay, it's obvious. We have, like, we have problems, right? Um, apparently there's a song about it, but I'm not supposed to quote it, so I'm not going to quote that anymore. Um, never mind. Uh, but we all have problems. And we know that, and it's obvious. We see that it's easier for us to point that out in people that we know than it is for ourselves. But fundamentally, we all have a problem, and the problem that we have is sin. And the sin that we commit, and the sin that lives inside of us is a big problem. And apart from Jesus, living in sin leads to death. It leads to separation from God. Paul, in talking in Romans, he says the wages of sin is death. Like that, that's what we earn. That's what we deserve. And we're talking about what we need, what we deserve. It's death whenever we walk in sin. But it also leads to separation from God. And a connection with God, that connection with His presence, what we really need, what we really want, is all found in God. That's what we're looking for in the first place. I've heard it said before, and I've, I've probably quoted it so many times, um, but they say there's a God-sized hole in our heart, and we try to fill it with so many other things, but really the only thing that can fill the hole is God. And so we know that we're searching for meaning. We're searching for purpose. We're searching for identity and security, peace, enjoy everything that we're doing. We're trying to make sense of the world, and we're trying to feel fulfilled. We're always trying to feel happy. And a lot of us, we look in the wrong places 
when we should be looking to God. A lot of us, we look into relationships. We think, if I just get the right person, if I just get the right relationship, then I'll feel fulfilled. Then I'll be happy. A lot of us return to jobs. Like, if I just have the right job, if I just get the right promotion, this is my purpose, this is my meaning in life, everything is going to be perfect and fulfilled. We look for stuff. We just get bigger stuff, nicer stuff. Some of us return to alcohol, we turn to drugs, fill in the blank. We look to the wrong places whenever the problem, the, the solution that we're looking to is God. And Paul, he says, none of us are immune. The Apostle Paul, he says, and I am the worst. But he gives us good news of mercy and grace. And so one of the questions that we should ask uh, in that First Timothy passage is, why did God choose the worst to change the world? Why did he choose a persecutor of the church who was on his way to, to persecute Christians, to arrest them, to bring them to prison, to execute them? Why did he choose that person to write two-thirds of our Old Testament? Paul says so in verse 16. He says it's to be an example to show you God's great patience to those who return to him to believe for eternal life. Why did God choose Paul? It's to show that no one who trusts God is beyond the reach of change. That no one who puts their trust and faith in Christ, who came to save, is beyond the reach of change. Jesus picked the worst of sinners to demonstrate to you and to me what his mercy and power can do in our lives when we choose and decide to trust in Jesus. So don't belittle the mercy of God this morning by saying that you cannot be changed. Like Paul, there's a time in our life whenever we came to Jesus and we're like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this mercy and this grace that you're showing us. And honestly, even after that, we all know like we don't deserve the goodness that God has for us. Once we truly start to understand what God's goodness means to us, what his love means for us, when we understand how loving, how forgiving, how gracious he really is, our response should be, we don't deserve this. There's nothing in us that is, that is good enough to even deserve a little bit of this. But Jesus came in this world to save you, to save us, to save me. He came to destroy and to reverse the works of the devil. And so by the power of Jesus, you can be changed. By his power alone, you can be transformed. And again, this is nothing that we can earn. It's nothing that we deserve, but it's freely given to us this morning. And so the message of Christmas is that what is evil and undesirable in your life, it can be changed because Jesus came to save you. And so we might, our next question is, how is this possible? How can we experience this in our day-to-day life? Because it's easy just to talk about this at a 30,000-foot view of, yeah, Jesus came to save us. Jesus came, he was born so that he can save the world. You know, it's the John three sixteen. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son into the world to save us. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our day-to-day? How is this possible? Let's turn to that second name of Jesus that Matthew gives us in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew says that now all of this took place to fulfill was spoken through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah prophesied that we would call Jesus Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus came to be with us. And we call, or Jesus came from heaven in the form of human to save us and to be with us. And Theologians, they call that the incarnation. You don't need to know that for the test later. Uh, but there are two important reasons on why it's important 
that God had to become a human to save us. And the first reason is that in order to save us, God had to be one of us. The consequence of sin in our life and the consequence of sin in the world is death, as we talked about earlier. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. That's what we deserve. It's death. And it's not just physical death, but it's, it's spiritual death. And because it's in our nature, because it's intrinsic, because it's in our flesh, because we're born with it, no one who has ever lived was ever righteous enough to save themselves, let alone to save humanity, to save the world. And so God took it upon himself. He says, where he knew the only way to do it is if I become a human, if I become one of them, and I live the perfect sinless life. God in his mercy, he knew that. So Jesus had to be with us to be one of us in order to save us. But the second reason, and this is more applicable to us today, Jesus came to be with us, to sympathize with us, to know what it's like to be a human, to know what it's like to, to walk the way that we walk, to do, to do the things that we do, to have the pressures of the world around us the way that we do. Because another consequence of sin that we face is that sin cannot be in God's presence. Wherever God is, sin cannot go into that place. And so by ourselves, apart from God, apart from Jesus, apart of putting our full trust and faith in him, we cannot go where God is. We cannot be where God is. And the Old Testament is full of examples of that. Like we see the first example in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, as soon as they uh, disobeyed God, they were banished from God's presence. They had to leave the Garden of Eden. And then we see in Leviticus, uh, uh, God, he, he... Um, In his mercy, he brought the temple down. He brought his presence to the place on earth in the temple. But there was a lot of rules and regulations on how someone could get in there or who could get into God's presence. And so, like, God, he he gave us a lot of steps on how the um, high priest could get into God's presence. It ended up being a seven-day process of him cleansing himself and purifying himself. And then he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he could go into the temple to offer a sacrifice for the sins of everybody else. And then what's crazy is that there's even protocols in place on, for them on how to retrieve a dead priest if he ended up going into the temple and dying because of his sins because sin cannot be where God is. And then we even see in the example of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, of how terrified Isaiah was when he had a vision of heaven. And he saw the holiness and the splendor of God. And he realized that he was still sinful. We see like how he saw and how he felt the fear of God in that moment. Because sin cannot be where God is. But in Jesus, God is with us. So instead of coming to God, whenever we respond to God, whenever we come into his presence, whenever we decide I need to turn my life around, I need to give my life to God, whenever we come to God, instead of finding guilt and shame and judgment, instead of finding death, instead of finding those things, whenever we choose to follow God now because of Jesus, we find mercy and grace that help us in our time of need because God is with us because of Jesus. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus came. 
And because he was one of us, and because he died in our place, he, and because he is now in heaven, he invites us to come to God's throne with boldness. And remember, in the Old Testament, the high priest, he couldn't come with boldness. He had to come with fear. He had to come with timidity. He had to wait seven days, and they're going to go one day a week. But now Jesus, he invites us to go directly into his throne. He invites us to go directly into his presence, not because we deserve it, not because we are clean, but because he is clean, and he puts that on to us. We know that Jesus was perfect, he was blameless, he was innocent, he was sinless. And oftentimes when we think of Jesus in this way, we still think of that division of he doesn't know what it's like to be me. He doesn't know what it's like to have this temptation. He doesn't know what it's like to, to, have, to deal with this loneliness. He doesn't know what it's like to have heartbreak. He doesn't know what it's like to deal with the pressures of life and trying to run around town and, and get through traffic, to pick up the kids, to make the dinner and fill in the blank. God, he doesn't know what it's like to have these things. But he does. Yes, amen. He knows. He, he, he knows what it's like to be a human being. He knows what it's like to feel the temptations, to feel the pressure. He knows. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. We think that weakness is something that separates us from God. We think that's something that keeps us from getting to God. If I can just fix this weakness, if I can just be strong enough, if I can just be good enough, then I can go to God and then he'll accept me. No, that weakness that we have, that's a way that we can identify with God because he identifies with our weakness. And so we come to him with our weakness and in that weakness, he makes us strong in him because Jesus, he has been tempted in every way that we are. He knows the battle. He knows the struggle. He, and he sympathizes with our weakness. Every temptation that we have, every failure, because we fail every day, every dark moment that we experience, he sympathizes because he has experienced them himself. We don't have to feel alone. God is with us. He doesn't like, oh, you messed up again. That's your 100th time. You're, you're done. I'm not going to forgive you anymore. I'm not going to be with you anymore. He sympathizes with us. He invites us back to him. He invites us back to be in his presence. Jesus came to be with us. He came to walk beside us to help us in our time of need. If you feel like you're in the dark this morning, if you feel like you're in the dark this, this Christmas season, God is with you. If you feel like you are in a desert place, you feel like you've been walking with God, like you felt his presence before, but now it seems like you can't get back in that place. It seems like he's not hearing your prayers. It seems like he, he gave up on you. It seems like he's not with you anymore. If you feel like you're in that desert place, God is with you. And if you feel like the enemy is winning in your life, like you just can't give, say no to that temptation anymore. You just can't say no to that darkness anymore. If you feel like the enemy is winning, you feel like he's winning the battle my encouragement to you is to look to God because he is with you. The message of Christmas this morning is that Jesus came to be with us. So Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to be with us. And finally, Jesus came to die so that we may live. Amen. He came to die so that we may live. I love the way that John puts it in 1 John chapter 4. It says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. So that we might live. There is life found in God alone. 
In Him alone is where you can find life. In Him alone is where you can find that need in your heart that you're so longing to fill. It's not found in a bigger house. It's not found in a promotion. It's not found in a raise. It's not found in a new relationship. The thing that you're looking for, it's found in God. And the devil, he's going to whisper. He's going to lie and say, no, it's not. It's found in this. It's found in that. Look at these lives. Look at this bigger thing. It's found in this. No, it's found in a relationship of abiding with God. Jesus, when he's talking about his own purpose, when he talks about why he came, he says so himself. He's telling parables in John chapter 10. He's talking about the sheep and the lambs and the gate and how he's watching over them. He says in John 10.10, he says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But he says, I have come. I have come. I, I was born. I came into the world so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus came so that we may live and have it in abundance. And that word for abundance in the OG, which if you're a Bible learner like me, the OG, that's original Greek, not original gangster. Um, the word for abundance in the original Greek, uh, it's being extraordinary in amount. It's abundant. It's profuse. It literally means going beyond what is necessary. The life that Jesus is offering us this morning is above what is necessary. He doesn't just give us our daily needs. It's not like you're in jail and like, here's your bread and water for the day. No, what the life that God gives us, the life that he's offering us, the life he wants us to respond to is a life of abundance, a life of more than what you need. It's what you're looking for plus some. It's that purpose that you need plus some. It's that joy that you want in your life plus some. It's more than what you need. And I love the way the NLT translates it. It says, The thief's purpose is to still kill and to destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life, more than what you need. An abundant life, a profuse life can be yours this morning. And and there's a lot of misconceptions about heaven. A lot of us, or not a lot of us, some of us still think that heaven is just a place in the clouds where angels are playing harps and you're just bored the whole time. Like, no, that's, that's not heaven. That's, I don't know what that is. Um, but some of us still think that heaven is that place that you go to whenever you die. And so you just have to get through this really hard life. You have to suffer. And yes, that's part of it. And then one day everything's going to be perfect. It's going to be paradise. And then we'll find joy. Then we'll find peace. Then we'll be with God. But what the gospel tells us is that God is with us today, that he's with us right now, that he's living inside of us. When we respond to him, that we don't no longer have to wait to go into his presence, but when we say yes to Jesus, whenever we respond to him, that he is now living inside of us. And so now we don't have to worry about going to his presence because he's already inside of us. He's already in our heart. He's in our mind. And we don't have to wait to die to experience what heaven has to offer. It's found in Jesus today. And so why is that important? Because it's important to us because the message of Christmas is hope. It's hope to every single one of us. It's hope to teenagers. It's hope to single parents, to divorced parents. It's hope to grandparents. It's hope for those who are near to God. It's hope for those who have never said yes to God. The message of Christmas is hope that God is with us, that he hears us, that he is nearer to us, that he has not left us. And if you have not responded to Jesus, the hope is that He will say yes to you, that he will be with you, that you don't have to wait and wonder, but you respond to his message of grace, and he will be with you. Jesus came so that the works of the devil, so that what is evil and what is undesirable in your life can be changed. 
And so this morning, you can be changed. This morning, you can have hope. You can have joy. The message of Christmas is that what is evil, what is undesirable in your life, that stuff in your life that you know you shouldn't be there, it can be changed. You can be transformed. You can be a brand new person. And so whether you realize it or not, you reject the Christmas message whenever you say to that, like, no, that's just who I am. Like, I can't change. That's just who I am. You're just going to have to get used to it. That's just how God made me. This is who I am. I'm never going to be changed. I'm never going to be perfect. When you say that, when you believe that, you are rejecting the message of Christmas and you're rejecting the gospel. That may be how you are now, but that does not have to be how you will be. Saying and believing that, it's kind of like my dad comes screeching around the corner in the minivan saying, jump in, jump in. And we'd respond to that like, no, I, I know I just called you. I know I just was I, I frantically asking you to come save me, but I think I'm just going to let you go on my way. I'm just going to walk and getting arrested is better than just going off in the safety anyways. No, the message of Christmas is the minivan of Jesus coming around to save you, to be with you, to offer you life. And the life and power that he is offering is it's power to change. It's power to be made new. It's power to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And so the parts of your life that you don't like, they can be changed. The parts of your life that are not getting you the results that you want, they must change. God's saving grace gives us power to be transformed and changed and to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. The goal is not just to be saved, to get into heaven. The goal is to every day to wake up and, and, and to aspire to be like Jesus, to be more like Jesus. And the more like Jesus we are, the more that we have what we need, what we're looking for. Jesus was whole. Jesus, I read a book that says Jesus was the happiest, most joyful person who ever lived because of his relationship with God, because he was whole. The more we become like Jesus, the more we're actually getting what we want. So the message of Christmas is hope that Jesus came to save, that God is with us, that he's with you even right now. And that if you've never responded to God, if you've never surrendered to God, you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, the promise of Christmas that he came to save, that you, he will save you, that he will bring you in, and that he will be with you. He just died. He came to die so that we can live, to make us a new person, to transform us. So this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around for, for privacy's sake, but if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never surrendered to him, if you've never allowed him to save you and to offer you that abundant life, then this morning is your morning. If you've never said yes to him and you want to surrender, you want that abundant life, you want him to be with you, you want that to be true for your life. If you've never said yes, you've never surrendered. I want you to raise your hand right now so that we can pray with you. We know who we're praying for this morning. Amen. I see that on the right. Anybody else? Anybody else you want to give your life to? You want that abundant life that's found in him alone. Amen. I want everyone to pray this with me for those who are saying it for the first time. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness. Make me new. Make me to be just like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's awesome. Let's praise God this morning for that. For the rest of you, the message of Christmas is hope. And so remember the reason for the season. 
We know it's more than just Santa. We know it's more than just gifts. But as your family comes into town or as you go to your family's house, remember why you're celebrating. It's more than just that Jesus was born as a baby in the manger. But it's why did he come? He came to save you. He came to die so that you can live. But for us, Jesus came to be with us. And so remember that this morning, that he is with us right now. Even when we don't see it, even whenever we don't feel it, God is with you. When you leave this place, you're driving home, God's with you. When you get home and you find yourself in that dark situation again, God is with you. Every day, every moment, look to him, remember him because he is with you.